0: Welcome to It Awaits You, a podcast composed of true Southern Gothic tales for the modern age. Welcome back to It Awaits You, a podcast bringing you haunting anecdotes from the reality of the modern South. You've arrived at part two of the first series, Seven Bridges, exploring the unresolved past of a supposedly apprehended serial killer and his victims in and around Rocky Mount, North Carolina. Before you venture one step at a time into the investigation, arrest, and subsequent trial of one man convicted of just one of the murders, you'll need to first cover the comprehensive list of people thought to have fallen victim to the Seven Bridges Killer from 2003 to 2009, a collection of people caught in a web of suffering that took six years and seven bodies to attract proper attention from law enforcement, followed by The Nation, finally forcing news about a killer impacting poor communities of color into the eyes of Americans well beyond North Carolina's borders. Most of these women weren't buried or hidden well at all and were found by mistake, but they also weren't necessarily put on display. Someone in their own community planned on no one caring about them after they vanished, other than their families, who filed missing persons reports in almost all cases. Deep in the woods of Edgecombe County and surrounding areas, These victims became silent and hidden symbols for the brutality against those on the margins the greater American public has often accepted throughout its history. As covered in Episode 1, this is a town where two realities exist depending on your circumstances in life. These are stories of 11 women and one man that lived and died in a world that considered them unworthy of its attention until the word serial killer became a fixture in the narrative until a community demanded action. In the early 2000s, 21-year-old Denise Williams was working toward her goal of a career in telecommunications and had recently finished her GED. She was found Monday, June 2nd, 2003, around 4 p.m. by fishermen, as she was floating in Cokies Creek, five miles southeast of Rocky Mount. She had been missing for a week, leaving behind a seven-year-old daughter and infant son. The last time anyone saw her, she was dropping off a friend at court. In April of 2005, over 20 people were arrested in a sex work sting in Rocky Mount, including 29-year-old Melody Wiggins, who was later released. In May, the last person to see her alive would be a deputy serving a court order for child support. This was at the home of melody shared with her boyfriend near the intersection of hill and branch street her children were in foster care and the boyfriend mitchell was in prison until june on an assault charge because of this when melody went missing later that month no one knew she was gone she died of blunt force trauma to the head according to her autopsy report she suffered stab wounds across her body and was partially clothed when she was found decomposing on May 30, 2005, south of US Highway 64 on a trail off Noble Mills Pond Road by workers near a cornfield. It was estimated she died sometime between May 23rd and 25th. Her skull was caved in, so much so that the medical examiner had to glue it back together in order to fully assess the extent of the fracture. Parts of her ribs were visible and it was clear scavengers had their way with her for some time beetles and maggots eating away most of the remaining clues, but there were still a few. Her pants were pulled down and her bra was above her shoulders, the blood under Melody's fingernails, defensive wounds from a knife on her hands, and the multiple red stains in the dirt showed she had put up one hell of a fight. The broad blunt force trauma encompassing her entire skull is thought by some forensic experts to suggest that her head was stomped repeatedly after the initial attack. Once Melody's boyfriend was released from prison in June, he immediately filed a missing persons report. The Jane Doe was compared to Melody's medical records and her fate was confirmed. In a strangely tragic twist, a tornado would take her son several years later in November of 2008, ripping him from his grandmother's arms, taking him to join Melody in whatever comes after death. In response to Melody's murder, Sixty men known to be John's since at least the year 2000 were questioned by investigators. By July 2005, having exhausted all their leads, they officially turned to the public for help in their search for answers. Then there's 24-year-old Travis Harrison. A fisherman with his son found Travis's body trapped in a thicket along the Tar River on June 25, 2006. He was naked, other than his socks, which had been discarded by the river, closer to his home. Travis was a crossdresser, addicted to cocaine, putting him on the same streets as the other women mentioned, caught in a cycle of fueling his habit. Though infrequent when it comes to documented cases, it wouldn't be the first time a serial killer has killed a crossdresser. Criminal psychologists associated with Stalk, or the system to apprehend lethal killers, led by John Kelly, re-examined the case in connection to the Seven Bridges killer in 2009. This is the same group that assisted with the hunt for the Green River killer, Gary Ridgway in Washington. They thought Travis's case was likely related to the missing and murdered women in Rocky Mount. Their argument was so compelling, the task force formally acknowledged the possibility of Travis's case being linked to the other victims. 43-year-old Christine Mary Boone was reported missing on January 16, 2007, by her older sister, partly because she was worried about her mental health given the knowledge that Christine was suicidal. Police unenthusiastically replied, people walk away from their lives all the time. Her sister was the only person trying to recover Christine from the streets after she became estranged from her incredibly religious family. She wouldn't be found until over three years later on March 9, 2010, as police searched Mary Chapel Road, near a mobile home in Scotland Neck, a town in Halifax County, North Carolina, not far from Seven Bridges Road. Christine's remains were scattered by animals next to the trees. Detectives later came to the conclusion Christine was possibly killed inside the trailer, then taken to where she was found along the woods line. Her autopsy mentioned her skeleton, completely bare, revealed a possible cut mark on one of her ribs. It's unclear if this was post-mortem damage or evidence of a stab wound to the chest. The man police later felt sure killed Christine without being able to prove it lived in the trailer at the time she disappeared. 35-year-old Jackie Thorpe spent most of her time on Holly Street like many of the other victims, but frequently checked in with her family. After she had been missing for over two weeks in late May 2005, a report was filed by her mom. Over two years later, Jackie was found on August 17, 2007, by a man searching for bottles near Battleboro. She was the first victim located off Seven Bridges Road. She was essentially mummified with no clothing on. Remnants of her former life were scattered across the ground green panties, white socks, lipstick, and a plastic bottle cap. Interestingly, the house she was found behind had recently burned down. Investigators thought it was possible she was killed close to the time the home was immersed in flames, but her body in particular revealed no evidence of burning. Was the universe sending out a smoke signal, awaiting someone's recognition? Or was it just luck, in an absurdly cruel world? Either way, it was the only sign the police needed to send a message to the public, confirming what many already knew. If you were a black woman in Edgecombe County's areas known for sex work, you should beware. Joyce Durham, 46 years old, was last seen in an area of Rocky Mount known for heavy drug use. The 1500 block of Harper Street, around 2.30 p.m., on June 17, 2007. She was later reported missing by her brother-in-law. Joyce has never been found. She is the only suspected victim of the Seven Bridges Killer to never be recovered. The Rocky Mount Telegram last mentioned her in an article in 2016. Maybe the supposed killer you'll hear about soon knows where Joyce is. In 2008, 50-year-old Ernestine Battle was addicted to crack and had been in and out of jail for the last nine years, having been arrested for sex work in the past and known to hang out around Highway 301 like the other victims. She kept in touch with her kids, but wasn't in a proper state to care for them herself. Jackie Thorpe and Ernestine were actually familiar with one another, as several of the women were friends. Ernestine was reported missing in February 2008 after being seen in front of her house by her sister, vanishing into an unknown car with a man her sister didn't know. She was found just over a month later, March 14, 2008, by a farmer repairing an electric fence just 10 feet from where Jackie Thorpe was found back in August, less than a year before. At first, the farmer thought he had stumbled onto the carcass of a rotting deer. Ernestine was severely decomposed, but her form was still intact. The man observed her hands were raised above her head. Maybe one last act of defense and defiance. Like the others, Ernestine had been brutalized by the elements, perhaps all part of the plan, with some notable evidence of potential trauma, but no determined cause of death. There was a lot of insect activity, internal organs removed long ago by scavengers, but also a sternal fracture in the center of her chest. It's unknown if this injury occurred at the time of death. At the time of 36-year-old Yolanda Snap Lancaster's disappearance, her arrest record had diminished her hopes of joining the military. She was living in a house with no electricity or water with her boyfriend, whose teeth marks were displayed on her arms after their fights. There was nowhere else for her to go, like Melody Wiggins and Jackie Thorpe, friends of Yolanda. There were few opportunities, no light at the end of life's tunnel. She was reported missing February 5th, 2009, while her remains were shrouded in secrecy by the trees along Seven Bridges Road. She was the last victim located before the supposed killer would finally be brought to trial after being found by hunters Monday, January 10th just off a path in the woods. A week after Yolanda was discovered, a prison cleanup crew spotted Elizabeth Smallwood's body on a soccer field in Rocky Mount. It wasn't clear when she had last been seen, but it was determined she'd been dead for six months. Curiously enough, her brother is also serving a life sentence for committing a series of murders much like the man thought to be responsible for all of these deaths. Elizabeth is associated with some unfortunate first in the Seven Bridges murders. She is the only victim that was found within the city limits of Rocky Mount, and the only victim to not be claimed by any family members. She was the only victim not reported missing. It's rumored she had children in the area at the time of her death, but that was never confirmed. Otherwise, the only connection was an estranged father in Georgia. Outside of her extensive criminal record for drugs and sex work, Elizabeth remains as much of a mystery in death as in life when she bounced between motels off Highway 301. Even the Rocky Mount telegram had difficulty locating information on Elizabeth. When she was found on a cold January day, her hyoid bone was missing. It's usually one of the first to go when a body is left outside, making it difficult to determine if strangulation occurred. Like the others, she was discovered with no clothing. 40-year-old Roberta Williams. She was found March 27, 2010, by men riding four-wheelers on the side of Seven Bridges Road, years after any real contact with her family. The last time her favorite cab driver had seen her, maybe one of her last sightings, she was distraught over being HIV positive. Lying around her body was a credit card yellow metal wristwatch, and a piece of chain with its hook. The men who found her thought they were staring at deer bones until they saw the human skull. Police disagreed with Roberta's family over an existing missing persons report, which seems to be based on her status as a homeless person at the time of her discovery. All that remained of her was a well-preserved skeleton, revealing rib fractures that were healed. It was at this point Rocky Mount Police Chief John Manley publicly confirmed they were dealing with a serial killer. Jarnice Hargrove, who went by Sunshine, found creativity in adversity. Despite being bipolar, taking her formal education to eighth grade only, just like her suspected killer, she steadily filled a notebook of poetry. She wrote while becoming addicted to a combination of crack and prescribed medication. Sunshine often read these poems at the Diamond Club off Route 301, the same empty highway used as a hunting ground for the Seven Bridges Killer. And where did she do most of her writing? Her mother and sister's trailer, less than a mile from Seven Bridges Road. The last time her family saw her, she visited to request money, struggling on a broken foot. A friend's birthday call to Sunshine in late May 2009 would go unanswered about a month before she would be found. On April 5, 2009, relatives of the 31-year-old contacted the police to report her disappearance. She was later seen walking along Highway 301, before vanishing completely. The initial search turned up nothing, until her remains were discovered on June 29th in a wooded area a few yards away from Seven Bridges Road. Another skeleton with no clothing, discovered by a tobacco worker, The only items at the scene were her chain with a dollar sign charm and a white metal ring. No signs of trauma. Her sister later returned to the crime scene after the discovery, finding a half dozen teeth and one toenail left behind. She returned them to the investigators, and in response to this token, the police had a message for the community and officially for the Rocky Mount telegram. All the bodies could be connected. 28-year-old Tara Nicholson was reported missing February 22, 2009. She always came home, but her father noticed she hadn't this time, after leaving the day before around midnight. She was found March 7th near Seven Bridges Road, again by a group riding four-wheelers. Her neck was fractured and abrasions covered her body. The cause of death was ruled strangulation. Did a random person do this? Or someone closer. Tara would always tell her mother, Diana, she didn't get in cars with people she didn't know. Despite her mom's warnings, there was someone out there killing the girls. Tara also knew Jackie Thorpe, and ironically, would have been with her the night she disappeared back in 2007, if not for an argument the two were having at the time. While Tara joined Jackie and the others out there in the woods, something important set her apart. Someone's DNA was still inside her, preserved by the cold weather during the first week of March in 2009. Decomposition was occurring at a much slower rate than the others. And as the crime lab would inform investigators, the sperm inside Tara, still with tails, were from sex that occurred 24 hours, at the most, before Tara was murdered. Police told Tara's mom, Diana, at the time, we know it's him referring to the DNA evidence, pointing to someone operating for years in the shadows of Rocky Mount's most impoverished and desolate corners on the Edgecombe County side of the tracks. Be sure to return in one week to dive into the biased media coverage and response during the final stages of the investigation, as well as the arrest resulting from the DNA evidence. In the meantime, you can find us on social media And get even more content through our Patreon, where your support is very appreciated. If you like this episode and want others to hear about it, take a moment to follow, subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening, and don't forget, it awaits you.